I'm going to show you a series of pictures, and I wonder if you can resonate or relate uh, with uh, the pictures that you see on the screen here. They're just going to flash through. This one's a little trickier to read. It's someone who just keeps texting over and over again without a response. <laughs> that last one, of course, from the movie Tangled. You are not leaving this tower. Now, what do these pictures have in common? Well, the word that I used in sort of uh, searching for these is the word overbearing. Overbearing. The first picture is a picture of uh, former president LBJ, and that's his uh, notorious close talking, uh, where he had this habit of simply intimidating people by leaning into them and forcing them to do and to think what he wanted them to think. Maybe you might resonate with the picture of a mother with her daughter, uh, or the picture of a father with his son, the picture of a husband with his wife, in which clearly what's going on is one person in the relationship is acting in a rather overbearing sort of way. Uh, we've got Everybody Loves Raymond, a television show with parents and in-laws who are a bit overbearing, a coach with a football player. Uh, a text in which someone just continues to nag or harass or continue uh, to send texts without anything in return. And then, like I said, the movie Tangled with a mom who's got some issues. Now, I wonder, as we think about overbearing, can you relate? Can you relate to any of these images? Perhaps one way you might be able to relate is that maybe you're a person who struggles with an overbearing person in your life. Maybe you've been the victim of a husband who is overbearing, or a parent, or an in-law, or a boss, or a friend. Maybe you have experienced the difficulty of being on the other side of somebody who's pushing, aggressive, uh, stubborn, arrogant insistent that you see things their way, that you act the way they want you to act. Maybe you can relate to these pictures because you're the one who struggles with being overbearing. Uh, maybe you resonate more with the football coach and the frustration and the impatience and the yelling and the anger. Maybe you resonate more with the parent who so desperately wants their children to make certain choices that you constantly find yourself impatient, pushing, trying earnestly to get them to see things a particular way. Well, in Titus 1, the Bible says an elder, because he manages God's church, must be blameless. And the first characteristic of blameless is not overbearing. Now, as we go through the book of Titus, we're doing a topical series, but we're letting Titus choose the topics. And so the topic that we're talking about this morning is this issue of overbearing. And whether you're a person who struggles with being overbearing, 
or you're a person who is the victim of a person who is overbearing. I believe the Lord has something to say to all of us this morning. So we want to begin by trying to understand better what do we mean when we use the word overbearing. It's not that common of a word in the Bible, but it's an extremely common event in the Bible. So we're going to begin this morning by looking at a situation where one person is being overbearing towards another. So please, if you have a Bible, would you turn to the book of Matthew chapter 16? Matthew chapter 16. If you need a Bible, uh, there's one in the rack in front of you. And in these church Bibles, it's page 798. Matthew chapter 16. We're going to start in verse 21. Page 798. Verse 21, right under where it says, Jesus predicts his death. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Now pay attention to this next verse. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Now, this is a very unique and unusual interaction between Jesus and Peter. Peter is one of Jesus' disciples, and normally when we see them interacting, Peter's asking questions. Uh, Peter's making good, encouraging, positive statements. Jesus sometimes has to uh, rebuke Peter for a lack of faith, but in general, their interactions are one that are positive and healthy. This is the only one where Jesus says something very strong back to Peter. Why does he do it? It's because Peter is being overbearing. What's going on here is Jesus begins to teach that he's going to have to suffer, that that's part of God's plan for how this is all going to work, that he's going to have to go to the cross and die. And Peter takes him aside, pulls him aside, and doesn't just simply say, well, that's kind of a strange teaching. Could you explain that further? Or doesn't say to him, Huh, are you sure that's right? He pulls him aside and rebukes him. In fact, the translators in the NIV have said, never, Lord, this shall never happen to you. What they're doing is very accurately reflecting the fact that in Greek, what Peter's done is used the strongest possible negation that's allowed in the Greek language. It's a double negative. In English, a double negative means something else. In Greek, it basically is never, never. And in fact, in the Gospels, the only other time anybody uses this strong of language is Jesus himself when he is making solemn declarations as God. Peter pulls Jesus aside and essentially says to him, you are dead wrong. You are absolutely wrong. This will never, 
ever happen. Now you can imagine the sort of momentary arrogance that Peter has fallen into, that he's pulled Jesus aside and essentially said to him, you're wrong. This is being overbearing. And Jesus cues us into that because he says, hey Peter, you're not interested in God's thoughts. You're only interested in your own thoughts. See, an overbearing person is one who feels the need to impress upon another our way of thinking, our actions that we think are important, our dreams, our hopes, what we want, and that's what Peter's doing in this situation, to be overbearing. And again, I'm not saying that Peter is generally an overbearing person, but here in this situation, he pulls Jesus aside and says, you're not thinking the way I want you to think, and I'm going to convince you to think about things my way. This is what it means to be overbearing, to take another person and to impress upon them our thoughts, our desires, our hopes, our will for their life. So with that in mind, what I'd like to do is I'd like to start with offering some encouragements to those of us who struggle with being overbearing. And then I want to offer some encouragements to those of us who have struggled with being a victim of someone who is overbearing. So for the first, please turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. It's page 956. First Thessalonians chapter 2. I'm going to read for us the first 12 verses of this chapter, and in this passage, we're going to see an example of someone who could be overbearing, but is choosing not to be, and from this passage, I want to draw out some encouragements for us about how, uh, for those of us who struggle with being overbearing, about how to do it differently. 1 Thessalonians 2, you know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you is not without results. We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know, but with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. You know that we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else, even though as apostles of Christ we could have asserted our authority. Instead, we were like young children among you. Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children. 
encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. Four encouragements from this passage for those of us who struggle with being overbearing uh, about how God might show us a different way to do it. Number one, notice in verse three, Paul says, the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. To try to trick someone into seeing things our way, that's being overbearing. To come along and figure out, how do I manipulate this situation so that person sees things the way I want them to see it, that's being overbearing. And Paul says, that's not what we did. Why didn't he do that? Well, point number one, suffering is at work to make us less overbearing. Paul himself knows what it's like to go through and experience suffering and persecution. And one of the blessings of suffering and persecution is it tends to root out of us the arrogance and the overconfidence that we should impose on other people our thoughts and try to force them to do what we think. Paul's experience was when he proclaimed the gospel, he suffered for it. If any part of the gospel was him trying to manipulate them, the suffering was going to purify that and get rid of it. And this is one of the blessings of the hard times that we go through in life. This is one of the reasons why if we're willing to embrace suffering, if we're willing to let it do its work, it tends to make us less overbearing. And we simply say to people the things that we have to say because God is compelling us to say them and not simply the things we want to say because we want to get our point across. And the person with a sick child, the woman who's lost her only son, the person who is accused of sins from their past, thrown back in their face, the person who's suffering at work because of their faith. God uses those things to make us less overbearing when we interact with others. To simply acknowledge, you know what, life's hard. And we share only the things that are absolutely from the Lord instead of supposedly our wisdom for fixing life. Number two, For those of us who struggle with being overbearing, hear the word of the Lord. Stop trying to do the work of the Holy Spirit in other people's lives. Do you notice in verse six, Paul says, even though as apostles of Christ, we could have asserted our authority, he keeps saying, hey, look, we're not here to please people. We're here to please God. It's God who's doing these things. It's God who's at work. Even though as apostles we have the authority to order you to do things, we didn't choose to do that. What Paul is doing is leaving room for God to do his work. And the problem is when we struggle with being overbearing, we've got no place for God in our thoughts. We think if I don't say something, nothing's going to happen. If I don't convince this child to do their homework this way, they're going to fail out, not go to college, not get a good job. And we're convinced that our one statement will fix everything. That we think that if we don't get this friend to think about things our way, that nothing's going to happen. And Paul's saying, remember, this is God's job. It reminds me of Philemon 
where Paul's writing this letter and he says to Philemon, I could order you to do this. I have the apostolic authority, but I'm not going to. I'm going to appeal to you on the basis of love. Or in Philippians 3, where Paul says, after he gets done telling him all sorts of complex stuff, he says, look, if any of you don't understand this or don't agree with this, the Lord will make it clear to you in his own time. Or in Acts 21, where you got one group who says, this is what God wants, and you got wants, and another group who says, this is what God wants, and they're at an impasse, the result is they all get together and say, well, let God's will be done. God will have to be the one that sorts this out. God will have to be the one that decides this. In 1 Samuel 8, when Samuel is threatening to be overbearing towards the children of Israel because they've rejected him, God comes to him and says, hey, hey, listen, it's not you they're rejecting, it's me. And the encouragement is, is when we're convinced that we have to be the ones to fix everything, we have to be the ones to say something, we have to be the ones to change this thing, we have to be the one at work who makes this happen, we have to be the one in our family who forces this thing to happen. Their encouragement is, look, it's our job to deliver the message. It's God's job to convince people it's true. So let the Holy Spirit do his job. Encouragement number three. Open up your life and share your struggles. A couple of weeks ago, I was at a pastor's conference in Poland. Uh, I was invited there to speak to the Baptist Union uh, pastors who are part of the Baptist Union in Poland. I was invited to speak by the president of the Baptist Union, a a guy named Mateusz, who I'd never met before. I got an email and uh, he's like, I'm inviting you to come and speak on the basis of a recommendation from a mutual friend of ours named Leszek. And so I prayed about it and the Lord said, this is a yes, you need to go. So I agreed to go. While I'm getting ready to go, I pray earnestly, okay, Lord, what am I supposed to talk about? And the Lord was very specific. He said, I want you to teach these things and say these things. And a couple of them were stories of failures and sufferings. And I was like, yeah, that's not really my favorite subject. Can we talk about something else? (laughs) But the Lord was pretty insistent. He's like, I want you to tell them this story. And especially the second teaching that I did, it was a pretty embarrassing story of a failure of mine. And I'm like, really, Lord? This is my first time to meet these people. I got to tell them this stuff. Well, we get to the end of the, I think, five or six sessions, and Mateus comes up to me afterwards, and he's like, thank you so much for coming here and being with us. Thank you for sharing. He's like, I got to admit, I was kind of nervous about having you come. I was like, okay. Like, for two reasons. One, you're American. And two, you're the pastor of a large church. And he's like, our previous experience with American pastors of large churches is that they tend to be overbearing. They tend to come in and say, look, if you just do it the way we do it, if you just implement these things, if you would just talk about things these ways, then everything would go great. As if everything in the American church is somehow going great. (laughs) But he said, thank you so much for coming and sharing all your failures and struggles. That's what Paul did. He said, we didn't just share the gospel with you. We opened up our lives. You saw our hardships and our toils. You saw the difficult things that we were going through. And one of the surefire ways to keep from being overbearing is to glory in our weaknesses, to tell the stories of our failures, to open up about our own struggles. 
And so let me just tell you this, because this happens to me a lot on Sunday morning. I come to church and I think about, oh, I got to fix this, or I got to do this, or I think about that. And you get in your mind, here's what I'm going to say to this person when I get a chance to talk to them. And if you came this morning, and you're thinking, I got somebody in my family, or at work, or at school, or wherever, that I got to fix, or I got to help see things a different way. If that's your situation, consider perhaps that God's invited you here this morning to tell you, instead of doing that, why don't you take that same person and open up and share one of your struggles with them? And perhaps through sharing your own struggle, God will speak to them about what's going on in their life. Amen. Number four, let urging come last. Verses 11 and 12. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging comforting and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. Now urging is always in danger of being overbearing. There are times in which we have to urge people to do things. There are times in which we have to beseech people, when we have to beg people, when we have to impress upon people. Now notice carefully what Paul is trying to urge them to do. He's not trying to urge them to think about things his way. He's trying to urge them to live a life worthy of the gospel. But even still, notice where urging comes in the list. It's last. He says, encouraging, what's encouraging? Encouraging is to put courage into another person, to encourage, to courage, put courage into them, to come along somebody, some, uh, alongside of somebody who might be struggling, and instead of telling them, here's all the things you got to do, to start with trying to give them courage to live life the way God wants them to live it. The second thing is comforting, to acknowledge, you know what, life is hard. It's difficult. To come alongside of somebody and to say, can I be a listening ear? Can I pray for you? Then comes encouraging. There is a time in which to say, hey, look, you got to do this. Hey, look, you got to act this way. Hey, look, I got to beseech you. But if it comes at the end of encouraging and comforting, it's much less likely to be overbearing. And so Paul says, there's a time for urging. But make sure you've first done some encouraging and done some comforting. Then you can do the urging. Four encouragements for those of us who may struggle with being overbearing towards others. What if you are the victim of someone who is overbearing? What if you're in a family or a marriage relationship or a small group or a work situation or school or sports team where there is a coach or a spouse or a boss who has tendencies towards being overbearing? What encouragements does the Lord have for us today? Turn to Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2, just back a few pages to 943. Galatians chapter 2, we'll look at a different story from Paul's life. I'm going to read verses 1 to 5, Galatians 2. 
Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also. I went in response to a revelation, and meeting privately with those esteemed as leaders, I presented to them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. I wanted to be sure that I was not running and had not been running my race in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. What's happening here is Paul is a relatively uh, uh, new minister of the gospel. He's gotten saved. He's been doing this for a number of years. And then uh, he gets a revelation from the Lord which says you got to go up to Jerusalem. The issue at hand is that Paul received from God the truth that you and I are saved apart from any works that we do. That you don't have to be a Jewish person in order to become a Christian. You don't have to follow the Jewish law. You don't have to be circumcised. But you have to understand, now for you and I who might be Gentiles, you think, well, what's the big deal believing that? It's hard to believe that, especially for a Jewish person who grew up in this situation in which you had to follow the Jewish law. And so Paul comes to understand, no, you don't have to follow the Jewish law to be a Christian. The problem is there are people, and he calls them false believers, who are insistent that you do. And so God says to Paul, go up to Jerusalem. And so Paul goes up to Jerusalem. And when he gets there, there are a group of people who are trying to compel Titus, the person whose book we're studying, uh, Titus to be circumcised. And Paul and Titus are experiencing overbearing false believers trying to impress upon them what they want Paul and Titus to do. So from this story for encouragements for those of us who may be the victims of overbearing personalities. Number one, you're not alone. You're not alone. If in your work situation or marriage situation or with your in-laws or extended family or with a sibling or a friend, Paul knows what it's like to be the victim of someone who's overbearing. Jesus knows what it's like to be the victim of someone who's overbearing. And the really powerful thing to me in that Matthew passage that we started with is all Jesus, although Jesus identifies Peter as a friend and a disciple, at that moment, he recognizes that it's Satan that's trying to impress upon him his will. And the crazy thing about dealing with overbearing people is that often they are trying to get us to do the very thing that we shouldn't do. Jesus already is having a hard time going to the cross. It's a difficult thing. He doesn't need Peter coming along telling him, oh, by the way, you don't need to do that. He recognizes that's Satan trying to trip him up. Paul is already having a difficult time not giving in to previous tendencies to go back to the law. He doesn't need these people coming along telling him, go back and do the thing you want to do. So if you're in that situation, please know, you're not alone. 
We've all been the victims of somebody who wanted to impress upon us their will and spoke to us their way, trying to get us to do the things they wanted us to do. Number two. We can use our own struggles with overbearing people to make us humble in our dealings with others. Why is Paul not overbearing with the church in Thessaloniki, in Thessalonians? Because he's been the victim of it. If you've experienced an in-law, perhaps, being overbearing in your life, redeem that. Because if the Lord makes you an in-law, don't do it to your daughter-in-law or your son-in-law. If you've experienced an overbearing friend who constantly is texting you and nagging you, trying to get you to do something that you may not want to do, don't turn around and do that to somebody else. And the encouragement is the sufferings that we've had, the Lord uses those to make us less like that. And one of the reasons why Paul is not overbearing with others is because he knows what it's like to be on the other side of that. Number three. Do not give in. Now, this can be a hard word because I understand there are certain kinds of personalities like you don't even know what this person is like. You don't know the kind of manipulation. You don't know the kind of argumentation. You don't know the kind of convincing nature that they are. You don't know how persistent they are. You're right, I don't. But I'm here to tell you, the word of the Lord says, verse five, we did not give in to them for a moment. The point is, is Satan often uses those who struggle with overbearing personalities to try to push on us things we should not do. And so the encouragement is, don't give in. Don't give in to that kind of pushiness. Don't give in to that kind of aggression. Don't give in to that kind of abuse. Don't give in. Now, you may say, that's hard. I agree. One thing that might help is in verse 5. Paul says, we didn't give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. Sometimes it's hard for us to stand up for ourselves. Sometimes it's easier to think, if I don't give in, that's also going to bless other people. If I refuse to allow my parents or my in-laws or my extended family to run over me, that might be a blessing for my spouse. It might be a blessing for my kids. If at work I refuse to give in to that overbearing boss who's trying to get me to do things that I shouldn't be doing, I can do it for people down the line, for my coworkers. For others. And Paul says, We stood up to them for your sake. And so God's encouragement is look, if Satan's coming after you with an overbearing person, the best thing you can do is not give in. Of course, this leads to the fourth point and an all important question How do you know if the person who's trying to compel you to do something? is trying to compel you to do something from the Lord or trying to compel you to do something not from the Lord. 
Well, believe it or not, Paul's actually in the same situation. It's been revealed to him that the gospel involves no works whatsoever. But that's hard for him to believe. It's hard for him to keep remembering that. And so God gives him a revelation and says, go up to Jerusalem. Why does he need to do that? Because there are people there that he can lay his gospel in front of and say, I'm preaching the right thing, aren't I? We're doing this the right way, aren't we? And so the fourth encouragement is seek wisdom from others. If somebody in your life who has an overbearing personality, or even if they don't have an overbearing personality, but they're just being overbearing in this situation, and they're trying to compel you at work, or at church, or at school, or in your family, to do something that just doesn't sit right with you, do what Paul did, which was lay it in front of people who are godly that can help you discern. One of the reasons why God insists in Titus 1 that elders must be not overbearing is he says there's got to be some people at the church that you can take these things to who will not impress upon you their position but help you discern what God is saying. And so one of the encouragements is if you've got a situation where you're like, my spouse is trying to pressure me into doing something I just don't feel comfortable doing, or my in-laws are trying to get me to act a certain way, or my boss at work is trying to get me to do something, or my dad is telling me something and I just don't know about that, bring it to the elders of the church. Bring it to the pastoral staff people. Bring it to your small group. Take it before somebody who's godly, somebody that you know, you know what? They're not going to impress upon me their opinion. They're going to try to help me discern God's opinion. And one of the encouragements is, is when someone is pressing hard, when a friend is texting you constantly saying, if you don't do this, you're not a friend, it can be confusing. And God simply says, this is why I place the spirit in the church. This is why I put godly people in your life. They will help you discern. Is this from me or is it not? The goal of the book of Titus is for us to live godly lives. In order to do that, first, we ought not be overbearing towards others. And God says, look, lots of us, that's our tendency. Here are the encouragements from 1 Thessalonians 2. There's a better way to interact with people. There's a more effective way. There's a godlier way. There's a kinder way. And although you may have the right to assert authority, you can always choose gentleness. You can always choose humility. You can always choose love. And for those who want to live godly lives, there's always a danger that overbearing people will push us in a different direction. That to avoid the yelling, the pushing, the bullying, the nagging, we just simply end up going along with whatever's going to keep the peace. And God says, that's not going to end you up in a godly life either. So please hear the encouragement from Galatians 2 that although it's strong, although it's hard, you're not alone. Don't give in. God's provided others to help you work through this and think through this so that you can hear from God. And if you're committed to do what he wants you to do, even though it may involve disappointing people around you, he'll show you the path forward. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord, these are tricky things. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would forgive us, those of us who are uh, 
compulsive and impatient and aggressive. Uh, Lord, those who are prone towards being persistent. Uh, Lord, for pushing on people in ways that perhaps you have not ordained. Lord, I pray that you would forgive the harm that's done through that. Lord, I pray that you would show us through your word a different way. God, I pray that you would help us to see uh, love and gentleness and humility and meekness. Uh, That these are things that Jesus demonstrated for us. Lord, I pray for those here who are the victims of an overbearing parent or coworker or sibling or friend. Lord, I pray that today they would hear words of courage from you. Lord, I pray that they would know uh, that you, Jesus, know what it's like to be in that situation. I pray that you would give us courage to stand up for what you want and not what's easiest. Help us to do these things. Lord, apart from you, we can do nothing. Grant us your spirit. Even today, Lord, there are conversations that perhaps parents were planning on having with children or small groups were planning on having uh, together tonight or coworkers were planning on uh, an email, planning on being sent. Lord, use your word to help us to think through these communications. Help us to be able to respond in faith. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us for this podcast from Calvary Church. We hope this message has brought the light and hope of God's presence into your life, refreshing your soul for the journey the Lord has you on. If you have a spiritual need or would like to connect further with the work God is doing through Calvary Church, seek us out online at calvarygr.org. On our website, you can also find an archive of previous messages from this series. Thanks for listening.